Welcome to The Living Word with Chuck Davis. First John 3, 8b, the latter half of the verse, Jesus and the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. John gives us one of the clearest purpose statements for Jesus. This could be called part of his raison d'etre. He came to destroy the works of the devil. We see very clearly that Jesus in bringing his own kingdom is subversive to the kingdoms of this world, uh, both religious and political. Uh, His way of presenting his father in heaven Uh, His own role on earth and the kingdom that he represented stood against the religious powers of his day. And it stood against the political powers, very subversive of the empire and everything that was having domination over the people. Jesus introduced uh, a new way of operating and spiritual authority that moved with a sense of dominion and not domination and with servanthood, uh, not taking advantage of people and leadership. So it would almost appear from John's words that Jesus appeared, uh, his reason was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, done deal. Let's move on with things. But we need to look at other uh, scriptures to show that Jesus took a major uh, uh, chunk or piece out of the powers that were coming up against. Uh, But Uh, The battle is not uh, completely won. Yes, the war is won, but there are battles that we're called into. It's kind of like the uh, period of time between D-Day, when final victory was won, and V-Day, when victory was celebrated. You've heard me talk about the four major themes of Scripture, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. And we are in this period in between the rescue and the restoration. Now, the fact that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil is seen in his movement in overturning the effects of darkness. But we get to see through the theologizing of the epistles or the letters that are left for us that there's still work to do. If you remember Paul's great prayer in Ephesians 1, uh, he's praying that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know the inheritance and Uh, the hope and the power to which God has uh, invested in us uh, as he has released uh, his power in our lives. Uh, And Paul goes on and says, that power that is working in us, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. This points to a shifting of the authority structures in our world. The writer of Hebrews uh, three times talks about Jesus uh, being at the right hand of God. But in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it reads, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. So everything is underneath his feet from authority structure, but he's waiting for them to be made a footstool. It's kind of a picture of complete conquest. 
And then Paul ends his letter to the church in Rome with these words. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It points to this aspect of the ongoing battle that we find ourselves in. The question is, why has there been such little emphasis and training in the church on this whole issue of spiritual warfare? Well, there's been a systemic worldview overlay on the scriptures that has led us to a naturalism and anti-spiritual reading. And in some ways, it's as if we're saying that Jesus had an archaic worldview. We have a better understanding. Uh, I'll give you a case in point. William Barclay, who's a great commentator. I love his historical and cultural pieces, but he's really anti-spiritual at different times. He writes in his book, The Mind of Jesus, quote, if we are to understand the miracles of Jesus at all, we must see them against the mental and spiritual climate of the age in which they happened. That age had a completely different attitude to the miraculous. The ancient world reveled in the miraculous. It looked for miracles. It expected miracles. And the result was that apparently miraculous events happen. To put it paradoxically, and yet truly, the miraculous was commonplace. Uh, he then goes on and writes this uh, about 13 pages later. There are miracle stories which must be interpreted in the light of the vivid Eastern way of putting things, and which are in fact stories of quite natural happenings told as an Oriental would tell them. Wow, it's a pretty bold statement uh, that somehow Jesus was uh, missing something in his worldview. Uh, as a result, uh, we as a people have put our head in the sand, and it's time to be brought into the battle. My sole what of this initial podcast is to remind us that war is on, uh, but we are to engage the battles, and the war has been won, and we're to win battles in the meantime. Just as Paul says to the church in Rome, uh, God will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. It's a call to alertness. It's a call to be engaged. The now what is to get armed. Uh, Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Yes, the victory belongs to the Lord, but we're going to see that we get to play a part in initiating his victory in this world. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you took on darkness and you took a dent. You destroy the work uh, works of the devil and you've invited us to continue that ongoing process of overturning. We pray that as we go through this series, it would not create a spirit of fear or a glorification of darkness or an over-consumed attitude towards the kingdom of darkness, but being equipped in Jesus that we would be fully alive for what you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen.